Tim Towsley has led an interesting life. From working at record stores to roading for touring bands to learning other trades like barbering or working at a tattoo shop. But it was his drive for learning and his realization of the issues in public education system that drove him to what he spends most of his time on, teaching. In this episode, we will talk with Tim about how he got into punk culture and how he decided to become a teacher, how the process of developing knowledge occurs in the school system, and I'll get his thoughts on things like attention in the social media culture and on the rise of quote-unquote alternative facts. This was definitely just a sliver of what Tim and I can talk about, and I plan on having him back in the future for a part two. So without further introduction, here's my talk with Tim Towsley. How did you get into um, music and punk and stuff? Man, it's, 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 it's kind of weird. It's like, it, it, it's like, how does anybody get into it, you know? It's like when I was in high school, even earlier than that, I was like the weird kid. And, you know, it didn't really, didn't really fit with, with the people around me because it's all just kind of, I don't know, you know, middle school, middle school, well, it wasn't even middle school then, it was junior high. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was just, I, I grew up in the mostly, like, military neighborhood, and, you know, the people that I got along with were, like, the handful of, like, skaters and punks and weird kids. Um, so I just kind of messed in with them and I, I don't know, I, I've never really talked to any of them. <laughs> I've never talked to them much. I just didn't really have a bunch of tight friends, but like those that I did have were, you know, kind of in, in with that ilk. Um, and you know, was Virginia kind of, Beach. yeah, Virginia beach. So like I knew, I knew like a bunch of dudes from like, not necessarily in my neighborhood, but like, a, you know, neighborhood or two over, um, and just kind of, kind of fell in with them and, uh, that's not a very, not a very cool or glamorous story. But <laughs> I remember like picking out, like through through the through like minor threat. I think was the first seven inch that I bought, and then I had like some CDs and like just kind of like jumbled around with stuff. And then my sister had an older, my older my older sister. She's two years older than me. She went to like she went to like the art school, and and I met a bunch of her friends. And like her friends would give give like her mixtapes, and I would steal them, and like listen to stuff, and find out like what kind of things I liked. And I would go to this one little record store in in, in Norfolk called Skinny's, and I would buy like whatever I heard was cool, and then I'd pick up like Maximum Rock and Roll and make pen pals. And this was all like before internet even. Mm-hmm. I ran a I had a pen pal ad that ran in the the issue with uh, G. G. Allen in his casket. Oh God! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I met a, I met like a handful of people through there, um, like you know, far and wide. Because I, I was like, you know, I was a fucking weird kid, dude. Like I didn't, I didn't, I didn't talk to anybody in my school until like eleventh grade, and like I, I think it's kind of just because I was like a, a loner kid for a while. You know, I was uh, I was real sick. And my dad was real sick when I was young, mm-hmm. so like I would I would like I was on like homebound school for a while, where I'd have like a teacher come and like work with me and like I'd send in my work and I don't know I kind of became like really like autodidactic that way so I would just teach myself everything and then just kind of pick up on punk rock because it was like the loner music you know what were you sick with I had asthma real bad and it turns out you mean (laughs) in hindsight it's all because I was allergic to everything in my house like I'm Uh, allergic to cats I'm allergic to cigarettes and like to this day like if I when I when I went into like my mom, I moved my mom up here uh, a couple of years in Richmond a couple of years ago, and when I was cleaning out her house, I had to wear like like one of those breathers for dealing with like hazardous chemicals. 
because I couldn't breathe in her house, like breathing cigarettes and cat fur and just like dust, like just wrecked me. But like, mm -hmm. that was like what I lived around, you know? And, and like in hindsight, it's like, yeah, when I was at home and uh, I could go outside, like in the summertime, I didn't really yeah. have any problems. But like when it was cold <laughs> and when I was in school, like doing all my work and like I was just like staying in the house more often, like it would just get ramp up and like it would get to a point where I, I couldn't breathe. So I would be up all night and then couldn't go to school. So I was on, I was on homebound school from like, I mean, I'd go for like the first couple months and then get switched to homebound. And then when the weather started to get nicer, like I would go, I'd go back to school in the, in the spring, but I'd spend like pretty much from October to like March or April every year, like at my house working on shit. <laughs> so I became like this, this dork. All I did was like, read and play Nintendo games and, you know, just find stuff that way. Because it was all, like like I said, pre-internet. It wasn't even really until after I had, like, gotten a driver's license that I was able to, like, get out and, like, get out to more shows and, like, talk to more people and kind of, like, hang out with them. And I think I had, like, one or two friends at my school. And then, like, it wasn't until after high school that, like, I really started to branch out and, like, talk to, actually, you know, it was, like, my senior year, and I was, I think I spent, like, a total of two weeks at my house, <laughs> like, everywhere else, I was just, like, I was, like, staying with other people or, like, traveling or, like, I would, like, be gone and then just, like, come home and sleep and then, like, go to school the next morning. Wow. So you're, like, smart as fuck, and in hindsight, <laughs> I guess kind of like the asthma thing, like, being a teacher is a great job for you. Um <laughs> But you didn't really. I wonder sometimes. <laughs> you didn't really jump into it. You went through a lot of no. stuff. Um, Not at all, man. How did you arrive at teaching? Like, what what did you go through uh, before you found teaching? Well, it, it's it's kind of funny. So I um, I was I was pretty good at at like math and science, and my brother my brother was an engineer. So when I was looking at, like, colleges and stuff to study, like, I was, I never looked very seriously, and, like, I never, like, I did well at school, but I never really tried, mm -hmm. you know, so, like, I, I, in hindsight, I look back, I'm like, man, if I had tried, I could have, like, done something totally different and then, like, been, like, a completely different person, but, you know, what happened was, is I, um, I looked at these engineering schools, and, like, I had even tried to figure out, like, okay, what did my dad do, and like, I was like, maybe I should apply for, um, like, like a ROTC scholarship or something, and, like, I wasn't going to get into, like, the Air Force Academy or anything like that, and my dad was, my dad was in the Air Force, um, gosh, like, 30 years, and he retired, and then, like, two months after that, he got, he got multiple sclerosis and was, like, fired from his job that he took at a, at a forklift operator, and, like, so he, um, he was just home, and I would just, like, hang out with him while I was sick the whole time. And then a lot of times I would just not go to school so that I could, like, just hang out there and, like, make sure he was doing okay. Um, I don't know. My mom's kind of bonkers, too. She's a product of, of that. But um, I don't know. I was, like, I was like, I need to go into engineering. I just figured, like, that's what I'll do. So I applied to, like, the University of Wisconsin because I had a pen pal up there. And I was like, oh, that'll be cool. And then I applied to University of Delaware because they, they had an Air Force ROTC program. And I was like, oh, it's Delaware. It's close to, like, Philly and New York. So I could, like, you know, go to, go to stuff up there. And then, uh, and then ended up going to VCU on a full scholarship for engineering. Oh, wow. Um, and I was, yeah, so I, I moved up. I moved up to Richmond in 96. 
with this full ride and like this, this honors program and, and like I made it like I made it like two weeks and I was like I hate this shit so much <laughs> <laughs> but but it was it was really funny because like um I tell this story to my students a lot I'm like you, you may think you have it all figured out but then you like you get two weeks into a program and realize you know it's not for you <laughs> like I um I, I was taking these courses and like I hated the like theory course. I hated it. Like anything that involved, I was okay at math in high school, but then I got to college and I'm like doing college math, college engineering math, and I was just struggling with it because like you know, first first like year actually out of the house, I had my own apartment, I had like no rules, it's kind of like except for the ones that I set. You know, I was just, I was just not trying to like get up and go study calculus every morning at eight a.m. Right. And I went and tried. I just did terribly. I, I made a genuine effort. I would go in for, like, office hours and, like, get some help. But like, I was just like, this sucks. I suck at it. And I wasn't even enjoying any of the engineering stuff with the exception of the lab where we got to build a robot. What was really wild about that was, like, I took, you know, some, some like, nerd classes in, in high school. I took, like, you know, the highest level, like, math and some of the sciences that were offered. But I really liked English. I was like, I can't go into English. I can't study English. What am I going to do with that? <laughs> you know, right. like the, the the same thing that like everybody everybody said back then. But I also took a bunch of like shop classes. Like you know, we don't even have these anymore. I took like you know electronics and and like uh, we took like an electrical electrical course. We learned how to like wire a house, um, you know, wood shop and and you know all this kind of stuff. And so so in those classes and also in like my own like nerd hobbies of like building, like, RC cars and, like, electronics kits and, like, radios and shit. I knew how to solder really well. And mm-hmm. when I took this engineering lab, it was, like, the only part that I liked. Like, I was like, completely useless as far as, like, any of the theory in building this robot. But I was, like, right. one, of the only, one of the only dudes in there that knew how to solder shit. <laughs> oh, yeah, I <laughs> so, can do that. So, <laughs> so I was valuable in, in that regard, but I was just, like, you know what? Like, I, I can solder shit as a hobby and, like, go do something I'll actually enjoy. So I, I was the first first person to drop out of VCU's engineering program. But oh my god! It was cool. They let me keep my full ride. Um, really? But it wasn't. Yeah, wasn't in wasn't in the program anymore. I think all that came from like donors and stuff. Um, I'm grateful for it because it, it let me it let me like you know get all my like fuckery out of the way in my my freshman year and like screw it all up and then you know on someone else's dime. Um, but I don't know. <laughs> Since you know, after that, I racked up plenty of student loans, and you know, I keep going to school to get more stuff. So, what does so that I met you. you um, I met you when you'd started working at Soundhole, um, which was the record. <sighs> I think store. I met you like a little before that. I think I was still living oh, right. in Virginia Beach when I met you. Okay, and you're then, right. And then, right, uh, you're yeah, like, yeah, just like coming up and like, you know. Right just like hanging out with some people and like, you know, I was trying to like make some friends in Richmond before I moved up here. And then, so, and then I, we, we hung out more when I worked at the record store. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, and so you went through that and then I remember for a while you went to barber school. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so after I dropped out of engineering school, I, um, I changed my major to, to general sciences and I, I, I didn't, it just sounded cool. I was like, all right, science, I'm good at that. 
so to do these general sciences, and I figured it was like a science degree that would have qualify me for everything. But what it actually is was like a general overview course that qualified me for next to nothing. Oh, wow. <laughs> so there were there were some lab skills and all, but basically what it qualified me to do was teach middle school science. I was like, nah, I'm not trying to do that. <laughs> I'm not trying to do that at all. So I was a I was a general science major for for a semester, and then I switched to to English and elementary education. And then I never even, like, set foot in a classroom with elementary kids, and I was just like, no, nah, I can't do little kids. So I just switched it to just um, just English and um, finished, out, finished out my English degree. Uh, I really enjoyed the stuff I took, like, later. Um, and I just, like, I don't know, it was just kind of, like, taking reading to, like, another level and, like, just learning more on my own. kind of goes back mm-hmm. to that, like, autodidactism that I developed when I was, just, like, sixth and seventh grade and like just really kind of like roll with it. I graduated from from VCU with my bachelor's in in, uh, in English and uh, he and Jay Orr were going to start a, um, a barber shop and we were like, we don't have any money, we're just going to do this. So we, we hooked up with um, with that dude Burrito because he has, he's like always into like all these ventures and stuff and he had money that he got somehow. But yeah, so I went to barber school for, for about three quarters of a license and then, um, you know, Got divorced and uh, <laughs> didn't have any money, um, so I couldn't spend. So I couldn't spend like all of my time at the barber school to, to go work at Plan Nine for, you know, six hours a week. I couldn't live off of that, so like, I had to quit barber school and then, uh, and then just was just working at Plan Nine and then, and then then the barber school burned down or something. There was a fire and like all my records are lost. So, oh whatever. my god. <laughs> <laughs> I still have the I still have the skill a little bit, you know. I'll still like you know, cut heads in my kitchen. So, how did you decide to like actually become a high school teacher? <laughs> it's funny because you know when um, when I when I had changed my major to education, uh, I, I thought like, oh yeah, I'm going to be an elementary school teacher and like catch some kids really young, so I can mm-hmm. find like the kids like me that were kind of kind of fucked up and like. You know, just, like, help them realize, like, look, school sucks, but that's the point of it. Learning is cool. Like, education is so different. Education is the system. Learning is the process. And and learning is great. The system is what drives you drives you bonkers. Then I just kind of, like, got to thinking about it, and I, like, would, I did, like, a practicum at a middle school. And, you know, going in with, like, this idealist attitude, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to help the fucked up kids. Dude, they're all fucked up in some way. <laughs> that's just right. that's just part of that's just part of being young. And it's like you know the the ones that were were fucked up, but also smart and kind of like driven. Those are so few and far between. Um, but you know, to this day, like those are the kids that I teach. Those are the kids. Like I, everyone else gets gets to be around me when I'm teaching them. So like they mm-hmm. they pick up the stuff and they appreciate it. But like there's always like that one kid in in each class that's like kind of the oddball, and he's not generally the kid who's saying anything and not really doing well, or she, you know, it's usually a fucked up dude, because that's what, that's what I was, but a lot of times it's, it's like that, that fucked up girl that might actually be, like, kind of popular with her friends, but doesn't agree with them, you know what I mean? So it's just, right. like, that person who doesn't quite fit, that, like, square peg, um, and, like, that's, that's the person that I'm going to champion, um, and, and, you know, the others, like, <laughs> I learned to, I learned to, not to say that I don't appreciate the others, but because they're all, like I said, they're all fucked up in some way, um, mm-hmm. and most of them don't. Most of them don't know it. 
Right. <laughs> they don't know it all. They're like, oh, I've got it all figured out. I'm like, yeah, that's cool, man. I'm glad you have it all figured out. So what's your what's your backup plan when that doesn't work? <laughs> you know, or how are you going to take care of yourself? And I don't mean like I don't mean like financially. I'm like, how are you going to approach this with the same mind and body when you get out of high school, the easiest time of your life, and you realize that the world does not give a fuck about you? <laughs> how are you going to be able to handle that? And, and, you know, I can't do that in, like, so, like, blunt of words, but I can do it through, you know, showing them through, like, various, like, vicarious experiences through, you know, different authors. And, and I teach I teach pretty much all nonfiction. Mm-hmm. So I get to throw, I get to throw, like, you know, James Baldwin and, like, um, we do we do a bunch. We do MLK's letter from a Birmingham jail and, like, some other, like, like, the transcendentalist to kind of just like look at like different ways of thinking. And while I don't necessarily a- agree with with the the policies or the processes that all these people use, I, I think that that it shows them like a way of I don't know. That's not really that didn't really sound right because like Thoreau, I think he's awesome, but I think his ideas are like he he was he was the kind of person who took Emerson's ideas, and Emerson was like already too old and like kind of set in his ways. So Thoreau's like, yeah, dude, I'm gonna fuck it all up. I'm gonna do all of this stuff. But he's really just like junior varsity Emerson with legs, you know. Okay. So he took his ideas. He took his ideas and then like made them made them stick. Like put them into practice. But it's like, you know, this this thing with Walden, like people look at that as like this, you know, this like transcendental kind of like proto hippie like fuck the system idea. I'm just gonna go live off the grid. But he's not really off the grid. He's like he's like within a, within a short hike from Emerson's house. And when it got cold, he could kind of like. You know, go get some, go get some warmth and some food. Like I, I get, I get really fired up about like teaching units about um, about education, and we look at we look at James Baldwin, we look at some like more subversive people, but then, but then also look at like how the system is kind of crooked, and like mm-hmm. what what could we what could we do now, like what should be done in order to make it better, you know? Because because right. change in, in education and anything with like any kind of like government backing it takes forever to change it even when people know it's kind of messed up it's like oh yeah we need to change that yes let's change it let's form a committee to talk about changing it okay let's do and then like you know five or six years go by and you get this little tiny baby step of a change but at that point you've got you know you've got like four six classes that have gone through and and they're they're like seeing that there needs to be a change but like they don't really realize that they're, they're learning, like what they actually take away from public education is, mm-hmm. is entirely up to them and not not something that the government can control, you know? Right. Yeah, so it's a student, it's the own student's initiative. Right, and, and, and they don't really get that until it's like too late. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and, and, and you, know what, you know what's really fucking funny about this? Is like Emerson wrote about that. Emerson wrote about that in in his his writing about education. He wrote about this like like how how long ago was that? That was like in the 1850s. He wrote right. about that, and here we are, 2017, and it's still exactly the same. It's like it's like you don't the the system doesn't have time to like to nurture the smart kid and his his genius. Uh, or her genius. It, it, the, the system. The system has to. I think you said has to refit sails and wait for all the dull sailors to catch up, or something like that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, wow. You have to wait for like the lowest common denominator, which is everybody. You know, it's all of us. Right. You have to wait. You have to wait for the slowest among us to catch up. So it's not really set up. You know, to to kind of champion that hardworking, 
um, kid that has his own, you know, his own drive. As a teacher, what do you think is the solution to dealing with that issue? Because, I mean, <laughs> like you're saying, it's a quandary for hundreds of years. Yeah, I, I, I think it's exactly just that. It's like you have to realize that, you know, you, you, you're, not, you're not in school because you have to be in school. You're in mm-hmm. school because you get to be in school. But unfortunately, you don't realize that you're in school because you get to be in school. Like, we're really lucky to have the system of education that we have, even even in those areas where it's, it's kind of just but, you know, it's right. sucks. Like, you still have you still have the opportunity to, to learn stuff and kind of grab onto your own learning and take control of it. But the thing is, is, like, you don't really realize that until it's too late. You know, I, I tell the kids, you know, I, I teach writing. I teach, I teach composition. And, and language and composition. It's like if you have ideas that you think are cool, you owe it to yourself to put it into writing that warrants reading so that other people will see those ideas. And, and it's so hard. It's like, right, you know this, you write a lot. Writing takes forever to get good at. And you have to you have to read constantly, and you have to you know you have to think about things, and you have to talk about things, and then you have to kind of like hash out those ideas and kind of do like the the, the rehearsals like with, when you're just chatting with your friends and all that, and, and then and then put it into writing, and then go back and revise the hell out of that. And that process right. takes forever, and you don't get good at it in a year. You don't get good at it in four years. Like it takes it takes a long time, and you have to want to get better at it. What's a crap? I think you know. Oh, absolutely, and, and and you always improve. But I feel like I feel like now there are just there are just so many distractions to it that like you find kids that, that have it and get it and want to like practice and get better at it. You definitely have those kids. There's a lot of them, but but they're fewer and fewer and farther between because we're just like it's like this whole like brave new world where everybody's just like oh cool entertainment. Let's let's look at things that I can that I can get in like these short six second bursts or 140 characters and and I'm not I'm not I'm not shitting on social media I think that's cool and all um, I just think that, that people have to realize that 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 is a, that can be a corrupting force if you allow well, it. To be. You know Neil Postman he he said that yeah. his his works on technology were that they were a Faustian bargain and that mm-hmm. you're trading one thing for the other. Um, yeah. So while we can connect with the world, um, we simultaneously uh, we can only digest smaller parts of it because of inundation from um, mm-hmm. information. Now, and, and, and there has been a lot of criticism um, both in academia and of academia and mm-hmm. how um, people have responded to these changes, like saying that the younger kids have moved to a position that is more um, illiterate. Uh, yeah. You know, criticizing I don't, I don't language. agree with that. Yeah. yeah, I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, sure. So um, we, we talk about this kind of a lot in, in, in my classes. Um, I, I have this one class. It's called it's called it's just called oral communication because that's what's in the catalog. But uh, originally, when I when I taught it and proposed it, it was oral communication and media analysis. And one of the components of that course is that we look at how we use media and how the, how media affects us. It also includes, you know, public speaking and, and, you know, just kind of old oration because as people get more and more drawn into their, you know, to their to their cell phones and to the Internet and things like that, the conversation, like the one we're having now, doesn't happen as often. They're not as inclined to engage in those opportunities because it's so much easier to just send a text or, like, tweet about it or to Snapchat or, or whatever it is that, you know, they, they happen to find at that moment to use that outlet. 
So it's not so much that I think people have, I don't think that their thoughts have declined. I think things have become, you know, more fast-paced, which is probably counterintuitive to how our brains work, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is which is why you have this, like, sensory overload and, and more and more people are, are, you know, identified as attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, which, God, who isn't really? <laughs> right. <laughs> if Especially you, if you look at... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. But I mean, anybody who's got a, who's got a brain that's working faster than our bodies can handle, I think that they they would get you know identified as as ADHD, diagnosed with ADHD, and you take all those meds to kind of level level them out to like the rest of the world. But um, it's it's like it's not so much that that stuff is is you know harming the way that people think. It's just that now we have a, a much broader window into that world. Where, where before you'd, you'd have to like seek it out or you encounter it here and there, but now it's just like you, you look online and everybody has a voice. Like every, you can hear everybody's opinion on whatever news article is out there or whatever video is out there or, or you know, through Twitter, through Facebook. Snapchat, I guess, disappears. I haven't messed with it at all. It doesn't really appeal to me, but um, I don't know. I, even I, like when I want to turn my brain off, I'll just like scroll through Instagram and look at people I like and it's just like, so I don't really have to hear what you have to say. I just get to see it if I want to, you know. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and it's like it's not so much that that you know people say, oh, language is declining. Like no, it's just changing, and it's always changed. I mean, if you if you look back, if you look back over history, like people used to get like, I was like, oh, you know, the novel is going to lead to the downfall of humanity and downfall of English language because people are spending so much time with their noses in a book that they're not like engaging in like real activity and real pursuits. But it's always been something. You know, first it was like you know, jazz music and then rock and roll and then and then the comic book was in like trial and in Congress and like the congressional hearings about the dangers of comic books. And now yeah, we're like, very oh, they're winning Pulitzer Prizes and we read them in the in the library. We're very egocentric in, in the fact that we tend to always judge our times as the end times for some reason. Mm-hmm. But by that same point, like McLuhan Marshall McLuhan in, in his studies of technology kind of pointed out that or his his theory was that technology always serves itself, um, like it bends to serve itself. So like, uh, and it kind of forces things to conform to it while kind of like eliminating the previous thing. So a good example might be like YouTube. Um, YouTube uh, it destroys the television, but it does it by cor- like corrupting the format. Um, assimilating the format of the television initially and then stealing it and kind of uh, overriding it. Um, But it also encourages people that participate in it to kind of bend themselves a little more to adapt to the technology rather than the technology adapting to the person. But that's the thing that you have to, you have to like really kind of take in stride is like, because, because people, when you give them like this new, this new toy, like this new thing, I mean, you're, you're a parent, you've seen it, you know, where, where, you know, your, your kids will grab onto something and like, it's like the best thing for a little while. And, you know, they get that whatever fix they get from that. Um, and, and, and they need to, they need to be able to like check that. It can be a tool for good or it can be for ill. Like television, right? The whole like thing about TV was it's supposed to be like this, this method of sharing information on a much broader, broader scale so it was going to be like the the thing that revolutionized education and you know they say the same thing about internet and now things are moving toward like mobile apps and stuff where it's like 
they're trying to like take education and put it on like the next new thing. But <laughs> the truth of the matter is, is education has never changed. It's always been about you know reading, writing, and thinking, and it's always yeah. going to be that way. So if you forget that and you just kind of like give in to that, you know, that extra whatever it's like dopamine or whatever hormone you get from, you know, from your device. Like if you just give into that and you forget you're in control, you know what I mean? You have to like check your own usage of that thing. One thing I wanted to bring up with you, because I think in the literary classes that you probably are teaching, you probably deal with facts at some level. Um, whether yeah. it's maybe more journalism class-based or something like that. But what do you make of the rise of, like, this alternative facts phenomenon? <laughs> Man, it's kind of terrifying. Um, and I think that I think that, that sometimes I think technology has, um, I don't know, I think it's, it's that whatever that hormone rush that you get, it's sort of, when you get everything so quickly, you mm-hmm. you... you Everything goes so much more fast-paced. You, you forget that good thoughts, they don't – you might have that eureka moment. But for the most part, you know, you're, 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 the good thoughts that you have and the, the good thought processes and, like, the, the smart thinking, it's just like writing. It takes a long time. So if you if you get used to it, like, oh, yeah, I have to, like, process this information very quickly, um, then, then you forget, like – I haven't actually processed that. It's just a thought that I had right away, but I've got to move on to the next one, so I'm just going to take it or roll with it. You know, the kids, the kids now, they, they, they really like to say this thing. They're like, oh, well, fake it until you make it. And it's not just the kids. They hear it somewhere, but it's like, fake it until you make it. I'm like, no, you can't, you can't fake, you can't fake real thinking. You can't right. fake, like, actual, like, <laughs> critical thought process. Right. So what the, the result is a lot of kids have a hard time dealing with anything that's abstract, you know, and the education system, not learning, the education system has kind of pushed that on them because everything's driven by, you know, like multiple choice tests where there's only four options. What right. a real problem in life only has four options, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so they they get this kind of they get kind of freaked out, and it's like they have to take the AP classes. Or they're not going to get into a good school. They have to have a really high GPA, and like everything has been pared down data. You know, it's like oh, I have this GPA, so I need to get you know this score on my SAT, and it's like all of their their education is summed up by a number. But, but that doesn't work that way, you know? It's like you can't think your way out of a wet paper bag if you've got, like, you know, these perfect numbers but no actual critical process. Well, there's no way to quantify actual knowledge. Right. Like, there's a way to quantify. It's, it's, an, it's an abstract thing. Right. Right. And, and, and you know, I think, I think what you're talking about there is it, 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 essentially maybe this stuff is moving so fast that they're, like, learning comes with reflection, Mm-hmm. And if there isn't time to reflect right. on maybe a couple different theories you've been working on of why this might be, yeah, then you really like never you got to have your own knowledge. Yeah, you've got to test that out in conversation, you know, and mm-hmm. test out your theory and, and not, not accept anything as, like, wholesale fact. And I think that's why a lot of my students struggle with writing because it just takes forever and, like, they, we do, like – We'll do a lot of like analytical writing, and they're just like, I just don't get it. And it's like, well, the meaning, the meaning of this text, it doesn't exist on the page. 
Like, you've got to take this text and then you've got to bounce it off of every other idea you've ever had and see if you can't come up with some new way of looking at it and see if that new way of looking at it is applicable to the analysis of other texts. And it's a process that, that just takes forever, and the kids struggle because they're, they're so used to, like, um, okay, I'm going to do this, 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 and this, and then the right answer is C. <laughs> no, you can't. That's not analytical thinking. That's like playing a game. It's like, it's like making an educated guess or, like, using, you know, what, you, what you've been told to think in order to plug in some, some answer in, in an arbitrary test that is, a, that is, like, a political measure. It's a political measure to show that schools are worth assault so that they can justify, you know, what money they do spend on them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it has nothing to do with has nothing to do with what you know. And 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 it's and it's kind of a shame because like I don't know, there are a lot of kids that I teach that are that are, you know, sometimes in, in lower level classes that, that think they're dumb because they're not good at taking the test. Right. And it's like no, that's not. That's like one. That's like one kind of intelligence. And mm-hmm. I don't even know like how practical that is. Well, I, I, you know, what I've always come to the conclusion is that there's an inherent culture and an inherent realm of possibilities in each machine. Like the culture of a a, a lawnmower might be that it's hot and that it's oily, and the mm-hmm. realm of possibilities is that the engine starts, stops, or breaks. You know, um, right. right. And, and if you have any kind of mechanism uh, like a public school system, I mean, it's basically a machine, you know, like there's different mm-hmm. parts, there's a culture, and there's a, a realm of possibilities. And because of things like bylaws and, um, you know, procedure, uh, there's only certain potentialities that can occur with operations unless everyone just goes right. way off script. But I wonder if it's just something inherent to the way we approach education, like, um, like maybe if if we approached uh, it the way that a different industry approached their business, maybe it would have more success. Um, I don't know, you know. Yeah, but I don't know, but I think I think I think learning learning is such a is such a personal thing, right? Everybody yeah. has like different learning styles, and like they're you know we're all we're all these like, happy little snowflakes. You know, we all have our own ways of going about things and our own things that make us happy. You know, just to extend the analogy, but in reality, like, we're all little pretty snowflakes, but we're all going to melt. The reality is that we're all, like, living, breathing creatures that will eventually die. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of use that. I, I tell my students, I was like, look, death, death is the great leveler. It's like, no matter how rich you are, what your political background is, how you think about stuff, whatever your GPA is, your SAT score, what college you get into, you know, what job you have, we're all going to die in the end. And yeah, that's super bleak. But I, I say this for a reason. It's like you only, you know, de- death is certain, life is not that whole kind of thing. And and you know, just to go back to that transcendentalist thinking, like Thoreau said, his, his greatest fear was to die having not actually lived. And I think if you're like working to like fill this mold or like be the perfect student who has the perfect SAT score, yes, you may have like that one kind of thinking that 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 gives you the stamp of approval that says, oh, you're the greatest student ever. But you not actually you can't actually have a creative thought, or or you you can't you know you can't really appreciate like what I don't know what a good poem or a good essay or a good movie or a good song like what actually makes that good, what actually speaks to your your emotion about that, what actually makes your head and your heart work together to kind of appreciate something like that, um, and, that and that's a skill again that takes a, a really long time and you don't you don't get that through a multiple choice test you know. 
you're talking about how education is basically based on a person's initiative as to what they get out of it. Do you think we're yeah. hindered that education, that learning, has been relegated strictly to school? <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, 100%. And that's that's the thing that I think people don't get is like you know they, they come in they come into this room and I you know I got my my son he's nine my son hates school he hates it he hates going he worries himself sick every week you know every every Sunday night he's like I'm worried you know and it's just like what are you worried about he's like I hate school and and I, and I get it man he's in there and then like all, all both of the kids you know Dorothy Dorothy's in school Franny's not not old enough yet but when they're when they go to school it's like they just do these worksheets. They do worksheets all day long, and like they they they're, they're told to sit still. They're told to sit in a room, and and if you think about it, like you know these kids are told to sit still for eight hours a day, seventeen years of their life, and that's what they associate with learning. And yeah. and you know you have to you have to read something, and it's something that somebody else has picked for you, and somebody else has told you why you need to learn it, and someone else has told you why it's so important that that you know you're not able to to have your own original thoughts about it. And if you are, like, there, there are those teachers out there that are like, oh, you know, what is the significance of the color of Frankenstein's shoes? And if you don't have the same understanding or make the same, like, connections between significance of this color of his shoes and whatever they want to get out of it, they're going to mark you wrong. What kid is going to want to read more? Because he's going to fail that quiz every time. I would have never thought I loved learning until I was out of school long enough that I could reconnect with it organically on my own terms. Oh, yeah, for because sure. Because I had built up so many associations of it as this, you know, institutional thing. Yeah, yeah. Right. When we leave school, then we're taught not to learn anymore to a certain extent. Maybe <laughs> right, because of, right. It's like I turn mean, it off and then find find something else to occupy your time. And it's just like, you know, what do you, what do you do? It's like you're, you, you, don't, you don't like reading because that was sort of like educated out of you. <laughs> liking reading and liking learning that was all educated out of you and then you know you get out on your own and it's like i don't know thinking is hard sometimes it's really depressing when you when you make a connection it's like oh man this world is kind of fucked up and weird uh we're all in it together we got to make the best of it <sighs> fuck football's on yeah <laughs> no diss on football but fuck is it a lot easier to handle than 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 the real problems that we have well, what advice would you have for someone that wants to continue learning as an adult? Like, what, what are your habits to keep an open mind and to keep a, um, a, a, a learning mind? Ah, man, it's so, it's so interesting because, like, my, my learning mind is now really kind of stroked by, by teaching, right? So I learn, I learn as much by teaching as I do, like, kind of seeking out information on my own. Cause it's always like this like cyclical process. The more I learn, like the, the way, the more like the way that I teach or what I teach changes. And you know, so, sometimes like I mean, with the course that I teach, it's all it's all pretty much nonfiction, and I have a lot of control over it. So I can I can kind of change like these thematic units and kind of like plug and replace like different texts. So like I'll come across something cool about I don't know the death penalty. And then, and then we, we, I plug it into our unit on justice. You know, a couple, a couple years ago, um, there was that story about, uh, Khalif Browder that ran in the New Yorker about how this, like, 15 year old kid was accused of stealing a backpack and he was kept in jail for three years. A lot of that in solitary confinement. Gets out of jail after, like, never having a trial. Just, like, 
kind of they threw out his case, but he was all like fucked up in the head from the system, and you know ended up ended up committing suicide. I was like, wow. this kind of shows the problem of, of of the justice system, and the justice system has problems that are similar to the education system, and all of it is so much bigger than that because it's like people are trying, they're trying their best, they're trying their best to come up with a solution to all of the world's problems, but their process for solving all the problems can't keep up with the rate of change that these problems have. And it's like they do their best, but then they're overwhelmed. You know, we're one of the only education systems in the world that says we're going to educate everybody, you know, and and, and you don't have a choice. you got to be in there for, you know, until you're in the 12th grade. What if if you just hate school and school is not for you? We don't say, oh, hey, let's learn a trade. I mean, some places do, but but for the most part, I mean, it's just like if you're not good at school, you're dumb, and that's 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 not a good way to to turn 18, you know? <laughs> like, oh, I'm I'm dumb. I'm not good at school. What am I good at? Well, I can definitely relate. You know what they you know they told me in high school? They told me that I would be the most you know when you go see your counselor or whatever. <laughs> sure. um, they told me I'd be a great janitor. Like that's literally <laughs> what <laughs> wow. they told me. And it totally fit with everything that I had um, come across in school, you know. And uh, yeah, so I dropped out yeah. in like fifth grade. Now, that's kind of the reason why I got into teaching was because I was in there and I hated high school. I hated junior high school when I went so much to the point where it would make me sick because I could go home, get on homebound, you know, cross their boxes, do all the kind of learning that I wanted to do on my own. And then at the end of the day, I had like a net gain. I don't know, man. I, I hated it so much that I was like, you know what? Instead of just like living, thinking back on the rest of my life about how much I hated high school, like why don't, why don't I try to like figure out a way to make it a little bit better for you know those kids that were that were that thought like me, you know, or felt like me. And it's like, you know, yeah, sometimes it's punk kids, but seldom, seldom anymore, man. <laughs> it's it's usually just just other kinds of nerds, man, that just that just can't sit right in their own head and like. They, they 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 don't they don't have anybody that gets it you know that gets that and I'm not saying I'm like you know God's gift to like the children I'm not some statue of liberty for fucked up kids or anything like that but but it's like I don't know I get them I I understand that it's hard and that and that you know they they are more than what their their GPA says about them they're more than what their grades like grades are not a measure of learning at all. Schools yeah. measure learning. It's a, it's a thing that you're told to do. And and, and don't get me wrong. I, I, I said earlier that that you know you're not here because you have to be. You're here because you get to be. But you have to understand that there is that compulsory attendance law that says you you do have to be here. But the reason that you have to be here is because we want you to have the opportunity to be here. So you have to do the most of that opportunity because the system itself isn't going to do anything for you. You've got to figure it out on your own. And, and, and like I said, kids don't realize that until later. So if I can make a handful of kids realize that every year and then take ownership of their learning, then maybe they can get control of it and they can kind of have a little bit more say in, in what they do. And then, I don't know, they can become great physicists and engineers and stuff like that. And, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think we need to do a, a, a round two of this at some point um, because there's so much stuff I would love to talk with you about. Um, <laughs> yeah, dude. So... Well, thank you so much, man. Cool, man. Yeah, it's been fun. This has been Various Things, and I'm your host, Gary Lama. 
I'd like to thank Tim for taking the time from his schedule to talk with me. If you like this episode, you can find more at variouspodcast.com or by searching the show title, Various Things, at Stitcher and iTunes. Thanks for listening.